Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for this weekend. Father, we thank you for the great things that happened yesterday. Thank you for the lives that were touched, uh, the joy and the fellowship that we saw yesterday. And just pray, Father, that your name was praised, that your name was glorified because of what occurred. And Father, we thank you for this morning when we're able to be together and worship you. We're able to join around the table and share your supper, the Lord's supper. And Father, we pray that 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 gave us the, the strength, the nourishment that we need to continue to walk in the steps of our Master, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for his sacrifice. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you would send him to be sacrificed on our behalf. And Father, our desire is that we will become more and more like him, that we will walk closer and closer behind him. And Father, that we will be made over into his image so that all people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we pray this through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So here at Netherwood, we're in the fifth week of a seven-part sermon series that's called Come Follow Me. And in this series, we've been walking along with the very first disciples as they followed in the steps of Jesus. And we've been carefully observing where Jesus led them in the first century so that we can understand where he's likely to lead us today. And we also are doing that so that we can be equipped for the journey that lies ahead of us as we seek to be disciples who follow Jesus at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. This is a series that's intended to help us as we strive to live out our 2014 Netherwood Park theme. That theme is that all may know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Because I'm convinced that we all, all of us here, share a common desire to follow Jesus boldly, to follow Jesus publicly, and to follow Jesus consistently. So that there will never be any doubt in anybody's mind that Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is the master of our lives. In the first week of the series, we talked about the importance of choosing to follow Jesus into the unknown. And we looked on as Jesus called four fishermen and a tax collector. And we marveled as they literally dropped everything to follow Jesus into the unknown. And we, as we observed that, we affirmed our intent, our desire to follow their example by placing our unknown futures in the hands of the God that we know, in the hands of the God that we trust, in the hands of the God that we love. In our second week of the series, we walked along with the disciples as they followed Jesus into foreign and uncomfortable territory. And there they met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And as we did that, we learned of our need to be prepared to allow Jesus to lead us into surprising places so that there we can meet surprising people so that we can stand and give testimony as God expands his kingdom in surprising ways and then in our third week we climbed into a boat with Jesus and his disciples and we sailed in that boat right into the teeth of a very violent storm and in that storm we learned that we can have complete confidence that the one who calmed the storm is present with us and cares about us in the midst of our life storms. And then last week, we followed Jesus up into an upper room where we shared a meal with him. 
It was the Passover meal then, but it's the Lord's Supper now that we eat. And we learned that the meal that we just shared together around this table is a meal of freedom. It's a meal of salvation. And it's a meal that gives us the strength and the nourishment that we need in order to keep following in Jesus' steps. And then this morning, we're going to walk along with the early disciples as Jesus approaches the cross. That was a difficult journey. That's an emotional journey. And it's a journey that appeared to be headed in one direction, appeared to be headed to one destination, only to take a completely unexpected turn. And it went to a destination that was not only unexpected, it was unbelievable. It was incomprehensible. It was unimaginable. It was a journey that the disciples found they weren't yet ready to complete, the journey to the cross. To help us appreciate what was going on in the lives of the disciples, I want to spend a few minutes talking about our favorite springtime event in New Mexico, wind. Wind, the ever-present wind. I don't know what your relationship is to wind, but if you spend a lot of time riding a bicycle like I do, your relationship with wind is described as complicated. It's a love-hate relationship. We're going to start with the love part of that relationship with wind. See, there are days when the wind is my very best friend. Those are the days when the direction I'm going happens to be the direction the wind is blowing. And it's blowing strong. It's blowing powerfully. Those are my tailwind days. On tailwind days, everything is right with the world. I travel at Tour de France speeds. I use gears that I don't normally use. The miles fly by. And I want to let you know that I feel young. I feel strong. I feel powerful. I feel invincible. Those are my tailwind days. It's effortless. I feel like I'm turbocharged and I have a hard time understanding why not everybody is on a bike riding along with me on those tailwind days. So as we join the disciples in our story today, that's where we find them. Not on bicycles, but they're having a tailwind experience. See, their journey up to now has been a journey of fits and starts. It's been a journey marked by moments of weakness and times of strength. It's been a journey characterized by flashes of insight, followed by utter confusion. But now, this odd collection of disciples seems to have figured things out. They seem to be on their way to triumph. And they're going there with their leader. They're going there with their teacher. They're going with the, there with their master Jesus Christ. I'm not sure exactly where the turning point came. Maybe it was when Jesus trusted his disciples and he sent them out in pairs to the surrounding countryside. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 6, we can learn about that. Mark 6, verse 6. We read this, Jesus called the twelve to him and he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a walking stick. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not a tunic. 
Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now that's a successful short-term mission trip. They didn't just preach, but they drove out demons and they healed people. Can't you feel the tailwind? Don't you know they felt powerful? I mean, after all, they could cast out demons. Don't you know they felt invincible? After all, they could heal the sick. What an exciting experience. What a tailwind experience to be able to do the same things that Jesus had been doing. Or maybe the turning point came later. Maybe it came as they actually followed Jesus into Jerusalem. Matthew records it this way in Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 1. You can turn there if you'd like, Matthew 21, verse 1. Matthew says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Can you feel the strength of the tailwind now? Jesus, their rabbi, Jesus, their leader, Jesus, their teacher. Jesus enters the city of David, he enters the capital, and he enters to shouts of Hosanna, shouts of Savior. Jesus was welcomed as a hero, and they were right there with him. Jesus was welcomed as a Savior, and they were right there with him. They are with him. They are his disciples. They are his students. They are his closest associates. They are the twelve And don't you know they felt powerful? And aren't you sure they felt invincible? You see, everything's coming together. The winds are at their back. All signs point to triumph. All signs point to power. All signs point to victory. All signs point to Jesus using his obvious power to restore Israel to its rightful place among the nations. You feel the tailwind. It seems like all that's left is for the disciples to determine who's going to have the most power and who's going to have the most authority in Jesus' new kingdom. But for those paying attention, there were signs that the winds were shifting. You see, Jesus 
repeatedly made references to his impending death. And at the Passover meal that we talked about last week, he dropped the bombshell that one of the twelve was actually preparing to betray him. And then after that meal, after the meal they shared in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples had this exchange. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Mark 14, 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Can't you feel the wind shift? This is like a gust in the face. When Jesus says, you will all fall away. You will all be scattered. And when Peter, the one who feels the strongest, Peter, the one who's most vocal, most emphatic in his confidence that he will never be separated from Jesus, Peter is about to learn a very hard lesson about strength and about headwinds. And the lesson that Peter's about to learn is a lesson that we all need to learn. And it's our key point this morning. It's a key point that you'll find on the screen behind me. You'll also find in your bulletin in the outline. And it's this. Relying on our own strength leaves us vulnerable to our fears of hostility, our fears of exclusion, and our fears of embarrassment as a result of being identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Relying on our own strength leaves us vulnerable to our fears of hostility, exclusion, and embarrassment as a result of being identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the hate part of my relationship with wind. That's headwinds. See, there's also days when there's a very strong wind blowing from the direction that I'm going. And that wind is constant and it's unrelenting and the miles drag by. My legs burn. And I wonder why anybody in their right mind would ever ride a bicycle in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the springtime. Riding into a strong headwind makes me feel alone. It makes me feel weak. It makes me feel defeated. That's my headwind days. And invariably on those headwind days, I meet a number of cyclists who are riding the opposite direction. And they're moving very quickly. And I can tell as they speed by that they feel powerful. They feel invincible. And I have to fight a very real urge to turn my bike around and follow them. So I can experience the tailwind. I want to go fast. Even if it takes me away from where I know I need to go. And for Peter and the other disciples, that's where we find them now. The winds have shifted, and they have shifted abruptly. The winds are now blowing strongly against them. They're about to have 
a headwind experience. Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus was anguished. He was distressed. He was troubled. Never has Jesus appeared so vulnerable. And never has he needed his disciples, his friends, more than right now. And their only response was falling asleep. Their only response was silence. And then we read that Judas led an armed group to Jesus. And he identified Jesus as the one to be arrested with a kiss. And Jesus was arrested. And in verse 50, we read this statement, which breaks my heart. It says, then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. Everyone deserted Jesus and fled. They, take, they took Jesus to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and amid confusion and trumped up charges, Jesus boldly affirmed that he is indeed the Christ. He is indeed the Son of God. Jesus was accused of blasphemy. Jesus was blindfolded. He was beaten. He was spat upon. And amid all of that, the disciples are nowhere to be found. Except for one. Except for Peter. Peter, the most vocal one. Peter, the most confident one. Peter has made his way into the courtyard. and He's joined the crowd. Mark 14, 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the, servants, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down. And wept. We can't know for sure why Peter reacted the way he did, but we can be certain that fear was at the core of his denials. If Peter was like me, he was afraid of the hostility that Jesus was experiencing. He was afraid that that hostility would be transferred to him because of his identity as one of Jesus's disciples, as one of Jesus's followers. And Peter found out that despite his statement just hours before, Peter discovered that he really wasn't ready to die with Jesus. And if Peter was like me, he was afraid of being excluded. He was afraid of being identified as, as other. 
He was afraid of being recognized as a minority of one, of being the only disciple, of being the only follower, the only one present. Peter, in short, was afraid of being all alone. And if Peter was like me, he was afraid of being embarrassed. Afraid of being embarrassed because he had chosen to follow Jesus. You can just imagine the questions and the comments that might be thrown Peter's way. Where's your rabbi now, Peter? Where are your dreams of glory now, Peter? What are you going to do now, Peter? Looks like it's back to the fishing boats, Peter. Because Peter is weak. And Peter is alone, and Peter is defeated, and Peter is afraid. And Peter chooses to give in to the headwind. He chooses to turn around and follow others in the opposite direction. So Jesus was taken before Pilate. And the adoring crowds who a short time before were shouting, Hosanna, who were shouting, Savior, those crowds abruptly changed into hostile crowds that chanted, crucify him, crucify him. And we read that Pilate gave in to their wishes. Pilate turned Jesus over to the soldiers, and they took him away to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there they put him on a cross, and there they killed him. And in Mark 15, verse 40, we read this. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed and cared for his needs, and many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And that was the group. Many women from Galilee who actually followed Jesus to the cross. We can learn a lot from this story, but I want to focus on five lessons that I think that we can learn from this, five lessons about following Jesus. And I also want to end with five ways that we can be disciples who actually follow Jesus all the way to the cross. The first lesson that I want us to focus on is that our spiritual tailwind experiences are a result of God's actions, not our own. You know, sometimes it's easy to start believing that the good things that are happening, the good works that are being done, the successful events that we hold are because of us, because of our strength, because of what we're doing, because we have it all figured out. And make no mistake, we do have tremendous power. We do have tremendous strength, but that strength is not our own. It is Jesus Christ who gives us strength. He is strong. He is invincible. It is God working through us that gives us those tailwind experiences. Our second lesson is that headwinds appear more powerful when you aren't sure where you're going. You know, when I'm riding straight into a strong wind on my way home, there's no way I'm going to quit or turn around. And the reason for that is because I'm going home. But the disciples were confused about where they were going. They didn't really know their destination. And then that left them weak 
susceptible to the headwinds. And as a result, they turned around. Our third lesson is that headwinds are more powerful when you are alone. It's remarkable how much easier it is to ride against the wind as a team or as part of a group. What seems impossible when you are alone becomes achievable when others are working with you, when they're working with you to go to the same destination. Peter, in the courtyard, was vulnerable because he was alone. There was no one to turn to. There was no one to help. And because of that, he turned around. Our fourth lesson is that love is a stronger force than knowledge. I'm haunted by that picture of the ladies on the hill watching Jesus being crucified. Because in that picture, there are no disciples. None of the twelve are there. They're not in the picture. They're not in sight. It's the women who had followed and cared for Jesus from the beginning. They're the ones who continued to follow and care for Jesus at the end. They followed him all the way to the cross. You see, it wasn't the group of disciples who had been the privileged recipients of Jesus' special personal teachings. They're not the ones who followed Jesus all the way to the cross. It was the women who loved him enough to take care of him who followed him all of the way to the cross. It was love, not knowledge, which took the women through the headwinds to the cross. Our fifth lesson is that there's always hope in the midst of failure. The disciples did fail to follow. And when the headwinds came, they did turn around. They failed to follow Jesus to the cross. But the cross isn't the end of the story. See, there are great things in store for these failures. And we're here this morning because their journey didn't end at the cross. We're here this morning because Jesus made sure that the tragedy of the cross became the triumph of the resurrection. The tragedy of the cross became the triumph of the resurrection. And the failures that we read about are failures no more. So failure is never the end of the story with Jesus. So what can we do now? What can we leave here and do now as we prepare to follow Jesus all the way to the cross? Let me give you five quick things. The first is we can stay connected to the power of God, to the power of the Father, to the power of the Son, and to the power of the Spirit. I want to encourage you to be in constant conversation with God in prayer. I want to encourage you to read his book. I want to encourage you to dwell on his teachings. I want to encourage you to follow his example. I also want to encourage you to worship often. To be together with other Christians and worship God often. I want to encourage you to dine at his table frequently. I want to encourage you to sing his praises together. I want to encourage you to watch him work in your life and watch him work in the lives of other people and then share those stories with other people so they too can know what God is doing in your life and the lives of others. We know that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives us strength.
The second thing that I think we can all do is to have confidence in our destination. We can know who we're following. And we can know where we are going. Jesus said there are many rooms in God's house. And he is preparing a place there for us. That is home. That is our destination. That's what makes it possible to fight through any wind so we can join Jesus in heaven. The third thing that I want to encourage us all to do is to never travel alone. Let's travel together. Let's help each other. Let's pick each other up. Let's rely on each other. We can't do it alone. So why try? Let's all rely on our shared strength. And the fourth thing that I want to encourage us all to do is to love the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. Love never fails. Human knowledge fails. Human strength fails. But the love that we experience through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, never fails. Let's love our Lord with our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength. And fifth, let's know that failure isn't final. We've all failed. We've all fallen down. We've all quit at one time or another. We have all given in to the winds and turned around at one time or another. But the Easter story, the resurrection story, the story after the cross isn't about failure. It's about triumph. It's about second chances. It's about a God who turns failure into victory. Jesus' death isn't final. The disciples' failure isn't final. And because of Jesus, our failures don't have to be final. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to join us next week as we celebrate Jesus' victory over death and Jesus' victory over sin. Won't you join us as we talk about participating in Jesus' victory over death and sin? Please decide now to join us next week as we celebrate and worship the risen Savior. So let's all stand and sing right now about our desire to follow Jesus all the way to the cross.